continue the study that we began last week called One Another, One Another. Now let me just briefly remind you why we're doing this and what's behind the, the title. Last summer when our leadership gathered together to talk about and, and, and ask the Lord to speak into uh, our year ahead and, and um, we were specifically inviting him to give us direction about uh, what he had in mind for us in terms of themes uh, of his working among us. And we felt as though he uh, highlighted four things that he wanted for us to focus on becoming. Um, it's not that, that we will probably ever arrive at any of these things, but I felt like, we felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on becoming a praying church a spirit-filled church, a relational church, and a missional church. Um, in the fall, we talked for several weeks, couple of months, uh, about what it means uh, to be the people of prayer. And we focused on that in our Sunday mornings and in our microchurches. And uh, I you know, was very gratified as a pastor to see what I felt as though uh, was a renewal of our com individual and corporate commission, uh, commitment to be people who pray. And uh, this winter, we've focused on what it means to be spirit-filled, wh who the Holy Spirit is, what he wants to do in our lives and unleash in our lives through the gifts of his spirit, and how we as a congregation can be his representatives, the Lord's representatives in this world in a powerful way. And uh, as we come now to the spring, we're going to be focusing on um, allowing the Lord to speak into us as a congregation and into our lives as individuals about what it means to be relational in the body of Christ. And that brings me to the next thing, because the church, the Bible says, is his body. That's the term that the, is often used in the New Testament to describe what the church is like. And we talked last week about how we looked at Acts chapter 2, where we have the description of the very first church in its rawest, most um, uh, unrefined form. And it's such an exquisite uh, description. And we, uh, I think all of us delighted in just being reminded of what the church really is. And we saw there that the church is not a place Sorry, <laughs> it's not a place, it's not a program, it's not an event, it's not what happens at a place, it's not something you can attend, it's not something you can go to, the church is not something that you contribute to, the church is people. The word church in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word, ekklesia, and that word ekklesia means the called out ones. It's a reference to us, to you and to me. And so if we're going to be the church, it requires us to be in relationship with each other. That's the only way it happens, folks. We are the body of Christ. And it, each one of us, an essential part of that body. If my arm just decides to do whatever it wants and isn't paying attention to what the rest of the body is doing, I'm in trouble, aren't I? We have to be together in relationship with one another if we're going to be like the church at its birth, if we're going to be 
like the body of Christ that the New Testament describes. We have to have relationship with one another. And that is where that phrase, one another, comes into play. One another is a a two-word phrase that, in English, two-word phrase that the Bible uses about a hundred times in the New Testament. It comes from one Greek word, alelon. And it is a powerful word that talks about the union that we have with one another, relationships that we have with one another. And of the hundred times that the New Testament uses that phrase, about two-thirds of them have to do with specifically about how we as individual believers can um, look more like Christ in this world, how we can better represent his character with one another in partnership and in relationship. So we're going to not go through all of those 60 some, uh, you know, of the 100 uh, times when that's used in the New Testament, but over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these passages where that phrase, one another, is used and ask Jesus, Lord, what can you teach us? Better yet, what can we, what can we um, live out of what you've already taught us of how to live in relationship with one another. You with me? Okay, so that's how we got started in this thing. Let me just also remind you of something we learned out of John chapter 13, verse 34, when we looked at uh, some, some three times when that phrase, one another, is used. I asked you to turn to John 15, so don't move from there, but I'm reminding you of John 13, and we talked about last week, especially verse 34, where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. It was the night of his betrayal. It was the last supper he's with his disciples just prior to going to the cross. And he, among the other things that he said to them, he said, this is a new commandment that I give you. When the children of Israel were on their way to the promised land from Egypt, some of you will remember that story. Part of what God gave Moses to give to the people in terms of uh, instruction and law was that they were to love their neighbor as themselves. And it's kind of the same as love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, in the same way you love and care for and make sure that you don't miss a meal and that you're in good shape, that you have nice clothes to wear and so forth, that you are loving others. And then Jesus, um, early in his ministry, he quoted from that passage in Leviticus and he said, this is what you ought to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then we got to John chapter 13 last week, just before Jesus goes to the cross, and he says, now I've got a new commandment for you. More than just love your neighbor as yourself, love one another as I have loved you. And now he's introducing a completely different order of love, a love at a higher plane than any of us have ever experienced in the human, uh, in our humanity. He is saying, I am, I am calling you, guys, from here on, I'm calling you to a level of love that you don't have the ability to reach on your own. But he said, when you love like that, when you love like I have loved you, that's when the world will know you're my followers. Because you will stand out like a bright sun in a dark place. Love one another as I have loved you, he said. And he, it, so then we talked about the 
that there's basically two kinds of love described in the New Testament, two different words that are used for them, phileo having to do with the highest love that a human can achieve, brotherly love, the phileo, Philadelphia, we have the city of brotherly love, that's where that comes from. It's a high love, but it doesn't reach agape. And we talked about how God's love is described in the New Testament using the, word, the Greek word agape. And that's a love that seeks no return for its giving. It's a sacrificial love. It is a higher love than any of us as humans can achieve. But the Lord is calling us to that. And the church at its birth found itself loving one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit, loving one another like that. And that's why the world took notice. That's why the world was changed. Because they saw in these early believers a love beyond what this world or human beings can produce. So we're asking the Lord to do some of that with us. I asked you to turn to John chapter 15. Look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, Jesus is speaking, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This just gets more intense as the day goes on. First, God said, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said, a new commandment I have for you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now he says, as the Father loved me, that's how I love you. Love one another as I have loved you. The way that I loved you is the way the Father has loved me. Wow. That's insane. That's intense. I don't know about you, but I just go, God, how is that even possible? But can I tell you that God never calls us to or commands anything from us that he is not going to make possible? I don't know about you, but I want to experience more agape. I want to give more agape. I want to be part of a body of believers that is experiencing, is expressing, is sharing agape. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I'm going to come back to that verse, but keep that in mind. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. One another. Now, probably the, the most concrete um, representation, in my view, of the difference between phileo, or human love, and agape, divine, or God love, is... is uh, identified or described by verse 13 here that we read, and then in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, let me explain. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life, or lay down one's life, sacrifice himself, give of himself or herself for his friends. Human beings can't achieve a greater love than this, God said. That you would be willing to sacrifice everything, even if it meant your, your life for your friends. And all of us can point to examples of people who are like that, and we revere them. They're considered heroes by us. People who are willing to give it all for their comrades, for their family, for their nation, for their friends. 
But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. It says, God's love was demonstrated towards us. This way, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when I was God's enemy, even when I didn't care anything about him, Jesus gave it all for me. The highest love that a human being can, uh, can achieve is where you'll be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for people you love, that love you back, your friends. Jesus said the greatest love, or the, that the love that God has is the love that gives everything for people who will not return the love, people who are his enemies. That is like, oh, dear God, how are we going... How are we going to achieve that? We can't, except for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ended last week by saying, dear God, take us deeper. Do you remember that? And that's where I'm going to, I've already began probably 20 minutes ago, but that's where I'm going to pick up now, is Lord, take us deeper. I ask you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not agape, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not agape, it profits me nothing. And then what begins in verse 4 and continues for several verses of this passage is a point-by-point is a point definition of the word agape. Two things are about to happen. We're going to see the kind of love that God has for us. And as you do, you ought to just rejoice in that. Let that just uh, settle, secure, bathe your soul in the in the wonder of God's amazing grace. But it's also going to reveal the deficiencies in our human love. So get ready for that too. Because we're going to have to stare ourselves in the face and say, okay, I'm going to stare ourselves in the face. That would be hard to do. <laughs> stare ourselves in a mirror and say, Lord, I don't measure up to that. But I want to. Change this about me, Holy Spirit. Let me become more like that. Let more agape be revealed in my life. So, are you ready? A couple of us are. Even with my warning and everything, you're ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. We're not going to do all of this today. We'll do this over the course of the next couple of weeks. But verse 4, agape, it says, suffers long. Agape suffers long. It's patient. In other words, it's long-spirited. Anybody you're impatient with right now? Anybody you've lost patience with in the last week? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. Come on. <laughs> Thank you for the honesty, but I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> okay, agape never loses patience. It's long-spirited. 
Agape, it's going to sound like agape is um, enabling, that it doesn't confront issues. But let me ask you this. You have a God who agapes you. He never, ever, ever loses patience with you. You will never, ever, dear one, reach the point where the straw has broken the camel's back. And yet, you also know he doesn't enable your sin, does he? He can love you with that kind of patience and still hold you accountable for growth in him, to become more like him. And so agape is not some sort of mindless just, oh, you know, I love you no matter what. It is that I love you no matter what, but at the same time, I'm also uh, not going to be enable your iniquity either. God can do both, so don't, don't get that mixed up. Agape is patient, is patient. Some of us right now need to ask the Lord to forgive us for our impatience. Right now. Why wait? Do it right now. Lord, forgive me for being impatient with you fill in the blank. You are never impatient with me. How dare I lose my patience with someone else? Forgive me. Agape is kind. How do you define the word kind? I mean, I challenge you. Look in the dictionary and f- see if you can find a crisp, clear you know, dis- uh, definition of that word. It's hard. It's like describing the taste of chocolate. How do you do that? You know? But the word kind, I think, can be at least defined by the word good. We have a God whose agape is good. Always. Do you realize that God can never be cannot be anything but good toward you. He will never be anything but kind. And I love the fact that this, this part of the definition comes after love suffers long because when, suff- when love has suffered a long time, it's usually not kind that follows in our experience, right? But in God's economy, in God's agape, There's long-suffering, and at the end of that, there's still kindness, goodness. I'm not wearied by that long period of suffering. Now I'm not going to make you pay for the long period of my patience. There's kindness. It says that agape does not envy. Whose life do you wish you had? I, I, I don't remember if I told, I, I think I told this person to his face. But if I didn't actually speak it to him, I said it to myself and I know God heard me. <laughs> and this was years ago, a guy I knew casually, um, but, uh, and, and for, you know, over a period of years, I didn't know him well until one, and then uh, one day I, um, I was at a conference where he was speaking. It was a pastor like me and began to his pastoral ministry about the same time as me and so we were kind of in the same class so to speak you know 
And I remember at that conference where I was hearing him speak, and I remember thinking, I want to be him. He's got a full head of hair. He's nice and trim. He's, you know, he's pastors a big church. He's really good communicator. I want to be that guy. And I wasn't kidding, and the Lord knew it. Who do you want to be? Whose life do you want? See, envy is not anywhere part of agape because envy, when it gets, you know, when it gets twisted up in our love, then our love becomes polluted in a way that I want something from you. I, I, need, I need to add to my life from you. And so love will never be pure in that way. Besides, envy says, God, you've done a bad job with how you've arranged my life and its circumstances, not to mention that most of the stuff that we don't like about our lives, we are responsible for. But Lord, you, you have messed this up, and so I'm, I'm hoping to be more like so-and-so. Envy is not a part of agape. Envy is, um, is it's evil. Agape does not envy. And right now, if you had an answer to that question I asked, whose life do you wish you had? Right now, why not surrender that to the Lord? Get envy coughed up out of your soul so it doesn't pollute you any longer. Let the agape of God who, who made you the way you are the unique soul that you are, the unique person that you are. Let the agape of God so satisfy and settle your soul that you can offer that kind of agape to others. It does agape doesn't parade itself. It, in other words, it doesn't need to announce itself. I'll, you know, I suppose nobody else in this room is like this, so I'll just use myself as an example, just in case. You might be able to identify with this, but there are times when I do something loving for people and I want to be acknowledged for it. And if, I, if they don't acknowledge my kindness, my love, my graciousness to them, I tend to feel slighted. There's something self-serving about that kind of love, isn't, isn't there? Our God, when he loves us most of the time, dear one. Through the course of your day, our Heavenly Father is loving on you and you don't even know it. And He doesn't need to be acknowledged. When we have the chance and we think of it, surely we should acknowledge His goodness to us. And we spent 20 minutes or more this morning as we were worshiping the Lord doing exactly that. That's completely appropriate, but not because God needs it. Agape doesn't need to be known. It doesn't need to be acknowledged. It doesn't need to be admired. Agape just gives without expecting any return for its giving. There's so many times I love this when I, you know, I happen, uh, just to put your mind at ease, I don't, um, I don't uh, scrutinize all the, the uh, financial contributions that come into our church. In fact, I, we have an arrangement where I don't have to 
see that stuff or think about that because I don't want to have in my mind what people are giving or not giving so that I don't relate to them on the basis of that. You with me? But there are times when I am made aware of gifts that people give, whether they're financial or material in some other way, to another, and they'll do it through our church because they don't want to be known. And I love that. They don't, they don't need to be able to see the gratification on the face of the person they're contributing to. They don't need to get the thank you card. They don't want it. They want their, their love to be expressed without any trumpeting of what they're doing. And there's something marvelous about that, something inhuman about that. It's divine. It's agape. It says that agape is not puffed up or inflated. And it may sound kind of like the same as the parade itself, but it's a little, a little different in that it's not about pride. And having, you've all um, certainly met people who thought they were the most loving person on the planet. You know, agape just doesn't dabble on that stuff, doesn't need that. It's self-sacrificing. Agape does not behave rudely. The Greek word translated rudely there literally means bad form. That's a way of, that's kind of a colloquialism or a slang way of telling somebody that they, they're not behaving in an appropriate way. We'll say bad form. Maybe you don't, but I, that happens with me sometimes. I, next month, my wife and I will celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary, and for 42 years, this woman has put up with a lot of bad form from me. <laughs> I love her. I love her more than I can say. But in my human love, there are, there, it doesn't rise to agape. And there are times when I will say something that's hurtful. I, don't, I, really, I suppose if you get to the deepest, darkest part of my soul, I probably do intend for it to hurt her. But I tell myself I don't. I'm just making a joke. Or have you ever asked the question, a question that really isn't a question, it's a statement? Like, what have you been doing all day? <laughs> Bad form. <laughs> Agape doesn't do that. And aren't you glad that we have a God who loves us and will never, ever, we put up with, because we, we, you know, with one another, we just kind of get used to the fact that we're going to get, you know, we're going to get the receiving end of bad form from one, once in a while. And if we're not careful, we can kind of imagine that, you know, there's some percentage of what we're going to get from God that's going to fall into that category. Can I just tell you, it will never be that your God is anything but agape towards you, loving towards you. Does not seek its own. We'll end here today and pick up here next week. Does not seek its own. Is not um, self-serving. Most of the, 
You know, the truth is that even in our, our best, time, best of times, our love tends to be, kind of have a, a, a U-turn in it. It's like we offer love because we know it's going to come back in some form. And, you know, that's just the way it is. But, boy, God help us to be one way with our love, to just be ones who, like you, offer love without any, any expectation of return, just free and purposeful. I, I told you, you know, we're, we need God if we're going to see more of this in our personal lives and in our church. But dear ones, it must be. It must be. It can't be anything else unless we want to just be an organization that people associate with or a place where people come to or an event center where things happen. If we want to be the church, we need agape, one another. And I'm asking the Lord in my own life and in yours to take us to that higher level. Would you set your things aside and stand with me as we close? I have one more thing. Yesterday, about, I don't know, I wasn't, I didn't look at a clock, but I imagine it was around five or six o'clock in the evening. And I was here um, doing last minute stuff, some vacuuming, chair setting. I think that's what I was doing, setting chairs, straightening them out. I'm kind of a, kind of cuckoo about chairs being straight. That's why there's tapes on the floor and things like that. So, so I was doing that, and, um, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I wasn't expecting anything. I was trying to get done so I could get out of here and go have some dinner. So I wasn't, I wasn't in some sort of ecstatic state of prayer or anything. I was just, you know, but I felt like the Lord spoke to me. And when, when I'm not expecting it, that's when I, you know, I know that it's him. And, and I felt like the Lord said this to me. It was simple. It was like, Randy, ask them or invite them to ask me. And I knew he was talking about you guys and I knew he was talking about today. Invite them to ask me and I will heal their relationships. And it was a very firm promise. Because I, and then I th found myself thinking about how probably all of us have some relationship that's messed up right now. Somebody we're not speaking to, somebody that, you know, is angry with us, some, but some relationship where there's barriers or walls that have been erected and things aren't right and we know it. We're just living with it or we've, or we've figured out some way to, to kind of get along, but it's really not clear and clean and loving. And I thought, I thought, dear God, that's an awful lot of work that needs to be done. And the Lord says, yes, the Lord caused me to know, didn't use these words, but caused me to know that, yeah, that's a lot of work. But if they'll ask me, I'll do it. And I, so I'm going to invite you. If you have a relationship right now that isn't working, might have to do with somebody in this room, may have to do with somebody on the other side of the planet, doesn't matter. I believe the Lord is inviting you 
to let him heal it. And I believe he will. When you ask him, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to hear from him about things you need to repent of, things you need to forgive. You're going to start to feel from him the the press of the the, uh, weight of his love that wants to break loose into that relationship, and you're going to step aside so that that can happen. You're going to step aside by refusing to continue to hold that person in unforgiveness. You're going to stop um, insisting that they be somebody that they're not. That you're going to tell God, I'm sorry for the way that I've treated them. And the, it'll be like a dam breaks. And, and in ways that you, you won't be able to stop, things will start to change in a dramatic way. I believe that. You can or not. It's up to you. But before we go, I'm just going to give you that opportunity to invite the Lord to heal relationships. Let me pr- I'll do the praying, but you do the, the placing before God. You, you put this relationship before him while I pray. Lord, you know us. You know how imperfect we are as lovers. But Lord, there's all, every one of us, and you know this is true, because you know our hearts. Every one of us wants to represent your agape love better in this world. But Lord, some of us have some holes to climb out of. Some of us have some relationships that are in terrible, a terrible state of repair right now. We, and we can't seem to fix it ourselves. We need you. But we believe, Lord, that you've set yourself to miraculously mend if we'll let you. So, Lord, please, unleash the power of your agape to heal, redeem, restore, recover, renew, I'm going to say amen in a couple of seconds because I need to finish this prayer, but I just, I sense what you sense. Some of you, you, not all of you, but some of you sense the Lord asking you to step out of the way so that the flow of his agape can reach to that relationship. Do it, do it. Whatever he says. Repent. Forgive. Release. This is recording number 11208 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 17, 2016. This is the second message in a series titled, One Another. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Relational Code Part 2.